This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 105. Hi, I'm Todd Henry, author of Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. One of my favorite voices belongs to this guy. It's Jeff Brown and the Read to Lead podcast. The organization doesn't top out at your level of, of intellect and expertise, you get to take advantage of everybody on your team. That, that's monster. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, Here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where the topic of leadership is central to our discussion each and every week. But we also dig into items like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, and entrepreneurship. In this episode, we chat with Mike Goldman, who is the author of Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. I'm going to be asking Mike about what has and hasn't changed in the business world in the last seven or eight years since the first edition of the book was released, what Mike believes to be the single greatest opportunity for companies regardless of their size. We'll chat specifically, of course, about the four secrets of passionate organizations and a lot more. There is still time to take my 2015 listener survey. Just a few more days to do that. This will really help me better serve you on into 2016 and beyond. If you have 15 minutes you can spare, I would really appreciate it. Take the survey right now from anywhere in the world, readtoleadpodcast.com slash survey. If you live in the U.S., you can also take it right from your mobile device by texting RTL survey to 33444. That's RTL for Read to Lead Survey all one phrase, to 33444. Mike Goldman is a nationally recognized speaker and consultant with over 25 years of experience at coaching organizations of all sizes and with unique missions from the local entrepreneur to the Fortune 500. Throughout his career at Accenture and Deloitte Consulting, he has helped Verizon, Disney, Polo Ralph Lauren, Chanel, Kmart, Dillard's, Liz Claiborne, Levi Strauss, and other outstanding companies. In 2007, Mike founded the consulting firm Performance Breakthrough to help mid-sized companies break through the inevitable, predictable barriers of growth. And Mike is also the author of the book Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations. Mike, it's a pleasure. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, thank you very much. Excited to be here. Great. Well, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you, since it's been five years since the first edition of the book was published, share what, in in your opinion, has and maybe hasn't changed, uh, Mike, in the business world since then. Really, the the fundamentals haven't changed. Uh, I you know I, I wrote the second edition of the book because of questions uh, that I've gotten from the first book, new tools that I've developed in in working with my clients, some case studies that I thought were important to get in the book. Uh, but it's not really I didn't I didn't uh, re-release it and change it because things have changed. The the fundamentals of of how to lead and manage people, of how to create a successful business, really haven't changed. I guess the only thing that 
that probably has uh, in the time since I wrote the book when we went through a, uh, you know, an incredible uh, economic downturn to, to, I guess, put it mildly. And now we're, we're, we're uh, you know, certainly uh, out of that deep funk we were in. Mm. These concepts and, and the ability to lead people becomes even more important because of, because of the, the, the layoffs and, and uh, you know, most of us, most people are being asked to do more with less uh, than we were even five years ago. So if anything, these concepts just become more and more important. Well, one of the things you say early in the book really struck a chord uh, with me. I've been on both sides of this equation. You say people don't quit companies, they quit managers. I've worked for managers that uh, I had to eventually quit because I felt they left me no other choice. But I've also more recently worked for managers that I adored and and really had great relationships with. Talk about uh, some of the unique challenges companies face managing for today and for tomorrow. Yeah, well, you know, what it really comes down to is, you know, I could list out, you know, here are 12 different things that are, you know, major challenges, but I think it really all, all boils down to one major thing, and it's really about finding, keeping, leveraging A players. Mm on your team. That's what it really comes down to. And you could break that down into a lot of different pieces, but you know, you you can't have an extraordinary company, especially for smaller, mid-sized, you know, more entrepreneurial companies. If you want to have an extraordinary company, you need you need extraordinary people. And 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 the biggest challenge I see companies have is they're stuck with a bunch of B and C players. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't know how to find A players. For some reason they're keeping their C players around around and uh, you know that you're just not going to be a great company uh, with, uh, with with those kinds of people challenges well with the four secrets of passionate organizations let's dig into secret number one it's what Mike calls acceptance and the prevailing wisdom suggests that all employees be treated equally it makes sense but Mike says that's actually a mistake Mike Mike why is that yeah, well, the, the the example I like to use is is I ask people, you know, if they believe in in the golden rule as it relates to how they treat their people at work, and and I remind people the golden rule is treat others the way you would want to be treated is one way to say that, and most people say, well, yeah, that's a great idea, and 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 they want to throw stones at me when I say I think that's a horrible idea, uh, <laughs> and it's a horrible idea because for me to believe that the right way to treat people is exactly the way I want to be treated uh, is I would have to believe that everybody's motivated by the same things that motivate me. I'd have to believe that uh, everybody's, uh, you know, learning style is the same as my learning style. I'd have to believe that everybody's cultural background is my cultural background. And that's crazy. So, you know, the biggest challenge for leaders is that you've got to treat everyone as the unique individuals that they are. I call the secret acceptance because you've got to accept that not everybody's like you. Uh, you know, some if, if uh, uh, you might be motivated, your primary motivation, you know, might be money. And that's not a good thing or a bad thing. But let's say that's your primary motivation. If you've got somebody reporting to you who's primarily motivated by uh, time with family, or service to the community, you better think about some ways to motivate them that may be very different than the way you, you'd want to be motivated. 
And that segues nicely into the second secret, something that Mike calls leverage. I think of like if your child's report card includes a bad grade or two, your tendency as a parent is to want to fix that problem. And we societally, we kind of hone in on that that very thing is looking at the weaknesses and going, okay, how can we fix those? Uh, And in the workplace, uh, a lot of times when that's uh, the mantra, that can actually be counterproductive. Talk a bit about leverage and why being well-rounded is not necessarily remarkable. Yeah. And leverage is about leveraging strengths. It's not about beating people up for their weaknesses. And, and you know, the, the, the example I like to use is if you look at an employee uh, that let's say you've got an employee that's been working for you for six months, so you've got a, enough time to understand their strengths and weaknesses, maybe not enough time to coach them on it. You know, if they've got two areas where they're outstanding, you know, one, they just have some natural talent, one area where they're mediocre, and then maybe another one or two where they're really just failing, they have no natural talent, uh, they, they have no passion in that area. The tendency is let's go focus on those weak areas and make them strong. The challenge is that's a recipe for creating a mediocre employee because as you're working on those weak areas, number one, if there's no natural talent there, uh, you're not going to make them great in those areas. You know, 99% of the time, they're not going to become great in those areas. At best, they'll approach mediocre. At the same time, they're not feeling real good about themselves because you're, you're causing them to, to overly focus on areas they're not passionate about, they don't have any natural talents for. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen in those areas where they are doing great and they do have natural talent? Well, because of the attitude shift, because of where your focus is, those areas are actually going to come down in performance and also start to approach mediocre as, as opposed to being incredible. So you wind up with a mediocre employee and, and, and that's a recipe for or uh, mediocre as a business. In this day and age, uh, mediocrity in your business typically means you're out of business. So what I encourage my clients to do, what I want companies to do is leverage those strengths. The, the, the fallacy is people think they have the most room for growth in areas of weakness. Mm. It's not true. We, we actually have the greatest room to grow in those areas where we have natural talent. The sky's the limit. So I encourage companies, have a well-rounded team. A well-rounded team means I've got people that, you know, when I look across my team, I've got people that are great in all of the areas I need people to be great at. But when I look at any one individual, I want them to be extraordinary in a few really important areas. What do you say to someone, Mike, who says, if everyone is focused on their strengths, won't there be a bunch of stuff that that just doesn't get done? In other words, people can't spend 100% of their time working on just the things that they like to do, right? Yeah, I, I think that that's a key point, and and that's why I say it's important to have not well-rounded individuals that are mediocre at everything, but I w- want a rel- well-rounded team. So if I've got five different key things that have to happen within my organization to certainly oversimplify for a moment, but I've, if I've got five key things that need to happen within my organization, I want to make sure that I've got people within my organization who are extraordinary at, you know, at at, at, at a few of those five things. And, and when I put them all together, I've got people who are extraordinary in all of those things, but not, not in any one person. So it makes it important when you're hiring to take into account strengths when you're hiring. So if I've got a bunch of people that are great, strategic, big picture thinkers, you know, they just have a natural talent for thinking of, 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 uh, of solutions to these big problems. 
problems, but I've got no one who can dot every I and cross every T and follow through on the details, I'm going to have a problem. So, so if I've got a lot of those great strategic thinkers and I'm going out to hire someone new for, for my team, mm-hmm. I better look to hire in areas of strength that I don't currently have on my team. So I don't have, you know, man, everybody's focused on the big picture and nobody's dealing with follow through in the details. I want to make sure I've got a team of individuals where, where I've got some folks who are extraordinary in, in all those areas. Mm. Well, the third secret is, is impact. Describe this one for us, Mike, and in particular, how impact builds on the first two secrets. Yeah, the, the, the concept of the, the secret of impact is really about giving people the freedom to get the job done. It's allowing them to take ownership, feel like they have true impact on your organization's bottom line, especially for, for entrepreneurs. You know, we always say, well, no one's ever going to be as passionate about the business as we are because we own it. Uh, and, and I get that. But man, you, you want to cultivate an environment where people get pretty damn close mm. to your level of passion. And the way to do that is through allowing them to feel like owners allowing them to have impact. The way it builds on the first two secrets is that if I understand what make my people unique and accept that we're all different, that first secret of acceptance, if I then leverage people's strengths, which is the second secret, well, you know, if I've hired the right people, I know them, I'm leveraging their strengths, I ought to be able to give them enough room to get the job done. And instead of telling them, here's, here's what I want done, here are the 127 steps you need to follow in order to get the job done, you know what? If you hired right, you got great people, give them the right tools, help them understand the outcome you're looking for and why that's important. Build a framework for them around the how and why of your organization, your core values, your purpose as an organization. Build that framework so people know kind of the rules of the game and man let, let them loose we're all different uh, we all don't get uh, there's not one right way to do a job impact is about letting people loose so you don't always have to be the smartest person at the table you got a, a, a room full of folks who are just you know ready ready to go and and bring some major major positive impact for your organization so what's wrong with dictating those answers to your team, Mike? What happens when you start doing that instead of giving them that trust and autonomy? Yeah, well, n- number one, when you dictate the answers, you're going to lose your A players really quickly because they want to go somewhere where they have the ability to think. Mm. So that's number one. But number two is now you own the answer. So, so Jeff, if I tell you, you know, hey, we've got this challenge. I need you to go do A, B, C, D, and E, and then get back to me and tell me when you're done. Well, if you do A, B, and C and you hit a brick wall, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to look back at me and say, you know, okay, genius, what do you want me to do next? But if I come to you, and this is the key, even if I think I know the answer, even if I think maybe today I'm the smartest guy around the table, if I start a discussion, and if I ask questions, not through some technique, but, but with real curiosity, behind and I say, hey, we've got this problem, you know, Jeff, what do you think we ought to do? Mm. You know, we go around the table and and we have ideas. You know what? Number one, maybe I'm not the smartest person around the table that that day. Maybe you've got a better idea and then let's go do it. But let's say I was the smartest person around the table that day and after five, ten minutes of discussion, we come around to exactly what I thought the answer was. 
Now the question is, who owns the answer? Do I own it or do we own it or do you own it? Mm. It's a little different. So if we have that discussion and, and you come up with the answer and now you go do A, B, C, D, and E and you hit that brick wall when you do A, B, and C, instead of looking at me and saying, okay, genius, what do you want me to do next? Now, since you own that answer, you're going to dig a hole underneath. You're going to go, you're going to climb up above it. You're going to run around. You're going to get creative in finding an answer because you own that solution rather than you're just following my direction. That's a major, major impact on your culture where every decision doesn't need to come down to you. You as the owner, as the entrepreneur, don't always need to be the smartest person around the table. The organization doesn't top out at, at your level of, of intellect and expertise. You get to take advantage of everybody on your team. Mm-hmm. That, that's monster. Yeah, I'm reminded of the work of uh, Liz Weissman, uh, who you may know. Um, Multipliers, sure. Multipliers, yeah. And, and just the, the uh, power of leveraging the collective brain power in the room and and how the best leaders make everybody smarter when they do that. Absolutely. Well, that brings us to secret number four, uh, celebration. Uh, I have a song in my head stuck in there all day after. (laughs) Uh, First, share why this is important, Mike, and, and what are some practical methods for implementing celebration into the workplace? Yeah, this is important. You know, I really believe, you know, we spend most of our waking hours at work. It should be a positive environment. There should be a constant flow of of positive energy throughout the organization. We should be able to have fun at work. Uh, so, so that's what celebration is all about. It really builds again on the first three secrets. It says if you really understand your people, if you're leveraging their strengths, if you're allowing them to have impact within the organization, what are you doing? to celebrate the the not just the results but the activity that leads to those results mm-hmm. and, and what I mean by that is uh, I'll, I'll use an example from my own business if I somehow figured out a way to double my my number of sales meetings with new clients starting today I'm doubling my number of sales meetings would I be more profitable this week and the answer is no. In fact, I'd probably be less profitable because I'd probably be spending more more money taking potential clients out for lunch and things <laughs> like that. There's a sales cycle. Mm-hmm. And once that sales cycle is done, I've got to perform some work. And once that work is performed, now I've got to, get, now I've got to invoice it. And then I've got to get paid for it. There's a real gap between the activity that I know is going to lead to a bigger, better, more, more healthy, more profitable business. It's a big gap between that activity and the result. And and I think a lot of companies, most companies are pretty good if, hey, we beat profitability by 15% this year or our revenues went up 30%, let's celebrate. Uh, most companies are, are fairly good at doing that. But what companies miss is the activities that lead to those results. The challenge is if, if I don't celebrate the activity and I'm just waiting for the result, I may be so burnt out. From, from doubling my number of sales meetings and not seeing the results and not celebrating the results, I may quit before those results actually happen. So we have to get much better at defining what are those activities that lead to the results we're looking for, figure out how to celebrate those activities, how to create contests and themes around those activities to make them fun. Uh, and it really is just about creating a more positive 
more engaging, more fun environment. And when you, you know, people hear the word fun and they think it's soft, squishy, you know, crap that, <laughs> <laughs> that uh, it's not fun, it's work. But I got to tell you, and, and I can give you examples uh, from, from different parts of my life and my career, but fun breeds creativity. Fun breeds teamwork. Fun breeds profitability. So it's not just about, I want to be a nice guy and make sure my employees have fun at work. It's about the bottom line. And, uh, more fun, you know, the right environment, you're going to have a more profitable, more sustainable business. Well, each of these uh, concepts, no doubt, is, is powerful on its own. But Mike, what are the possibilities when we manage uh, as companies, as leaders to, to combine all four? Yeah, I think when you combine all four, you, you become, you know, I mentioned earlier, biggest challenge for, for companies today is finding, mm. keeping, leveraging A players. Mm. And I think, you know, when you combine all these things, you become a magnet for A players. You're going to keep the A players you've got. Those A players you've got, well, who do they know? They know other A players. So they're going to be referring folks in as the as the leader, as the entrepreneur, as the CEO. Uh, you're pumped up. You know, the, the, one of the things I talk about in my book is, you know, it's all about injecting more passion in the organization. It's got to start with you. So as, mm-hmm. as the leader, if you're not leveraging your own strengths, then forget about leveraging anybody else's. Start with you. Mm-hmm. So the result of this is, is a more passionate uh, leader, a more passionate organization, more A players, and it just feeds on itself. And I really believe kind of the, the sky's the limit. And, you know, it's not just about bottom line. Uh, you know, it's about really enjoying and being passionate about what you're doing. But, man, that bottom line's going to be there, too. I want to point out that this is just a, just a, a great, easy read. I started it last night and, and finished it uh, this morning, and the story is engaging and uh, keeps your attention. I want to move on to some questions uh, not directly related to the book, Mike, but before I do that, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure that we know? No, I guess the only thing I'd mention, and, and I appreciate what you just said about the book, is one of the reasons why I do, you know, hear the feedback that it's kind of an engaging, quick read, um, is it, it's, as you said, it's told in the form of a story, but it's actually based on a true story. That mm. that, that book is actually semi-autobiographical. It's about a, a business owner and a father who has a son with something called Asperger's syndrome. Uh, my son is, is, you know, is now 21. Um, uh, uh, so, so he's a little older than than the, than the little boy that's in the book, mm. uh, but uh, but the story comes out of a true story. So it, it's uh, you know it was really close to my heart, and I think people when they read it, it feels real to them because a lot of it is. Well, I I'm banking on the fact that you like to read, uh, so I, I was wondering if you could uh, name for us a couple of books uh, that you've read that have had an impact on you. Maybe they're books you're currently reading and share why or how they've impacted you, Mike, uh, as they have. Yeah, there, there's so many. I mean, I, I'm a I'm a Goodreads guy. I don't know if you're mm. a Goodreads yeah. uh, subscriber. And my challenge this year was to read 30 by the end of the year, and I, and I'm already up to I think I'm reading my 28th right now. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna blow away my goal, which I'm proud of. Awesome. Um, you know, a, a few key books. One, one book uh, that I read a number of years ago uh, by Vern Harnish is called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. Mm. Uh, that's a book. He just came out with an update of that kind of Rockefeller habits. It's 2.0 called Scaling Up. But that's a book that I read about five or six years ago that really changed my life and my business. And I said, you know, man, I, I want to focus on working with my clients, you know, on these things. And it was all about 
creating the right uh, execution rhythms and, and the right strategy for a business. Um, and, and it really kind of drove, you know, where I focus as a business. I'd recommend actually the new version scaling up uh, for anyone who, who's looking to, to build their business. So Rockefeller Habits, Mastering the Rockefeller Habits was a big one. One of them that I just read this year um, is a book called uh, Uncontainable. It's actually written by the founder and CEO of the Container Store, which you may have heard mm, of. Mm-hmm. Very successful retailer. And the reason I mention that one is Kip Tyndall, uh, the owner and the founder, talks about this concept called one equals three. And one equals three, uh, which fits in so nicely with, with, what the, with my book and the work I do with my clients. One equals three says one exceptional person, one exceptional performer within your organization equals three mediocre performers. Wow. And I really believe that. And I've seen it over and over again. So companies that have a lot of B and C players and said, well, you know, we, we, can't, we can't afford to hire anymore and we're not retaining people. You hire one A player and they're going to do the work of, of, of three B slash C players. Uh, you know, it goes back to this idea of, of, of finding, keeping, leveraging those A, a players. So uh, uncontainable. That's not the only concept Kip talks about, but uh, but but great, great book, uh, uh, you know, talking about how he's built that company and some of the great, uh, great principles that he's used in order to do it. Mike, I know you do quite a bit of uh, public speaking. I'd be curious to know uh, what you've learned over the years, some tips that that you might be able to pass along uh, for delivering an impactful and and memorable uh, public talk. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. We're talking about reading books, but one of the things I would, I'd probably not recommend is to go buy a book on public speaking. <laughs> uh, because I've looked at some of those and, and I've been speaking for many, many years. There's, there's a lot in this in, in this life that I'm really not good at at all and don't, don't have a talent for, don't have a passion for. Public speaking is something I've always found uh, to be something that, that I, just, I just love to do. Uh, you know, people are so fearful of it and and, uh, you know, I, I just I just sometimes I'm more more comfortable on stage where, you know, in front of 500 people that I am talking to somebody one on one. And I've looked at some of these books that talk about public speaking. I'm like, well, man, I could always be better. Let, let me read a book. And they just make it so mechanical that you start to really think about everything you're doing and it just kills you. So for me, you know, my best advice with public speaking is public speaking has got to be, you know, you got to kind of magnify who you are. Mm on stage and and you know and and I know for me uh when when you know a speaker that can tell a really good story you know it's not just about facts it's not just about concepts but a speaker that can tell me a really good emotional story that sticks with me People don't remember facts and figures. People don't remember, you know, uh, you know, I saw a speaker not too long ago who had literally an hour-long talk. They had five principles, six values, 12 <laughs> best practices, just all of that. And it's just too much to remember. Keep it simple. What are the key two, three, four points? Tell stories. Make it emotional. Uh, that's the way it's going to be memorable. That's how you're going to get your point across to to an audience. Well, Mike, finally, I'd be curious to know uh, what's next up for you. What are you and your team working on now that's that's got you guys really excited? 
Yeah, one of the things I'm working on, and, and I've got a, uh, thankfully, a thriving uh, coaching and consulting practice, uh, and, uh, you know, writing for me is uh, getting the word out there, and it's kind of means to an end, so the major mm-hmm. thing I'm doing is, is is working on building that practice, and, and thankfully, it's going incredibly well, working with some great clients, but uh, I think what, what's interesting, too, is I've got an, an ebook that should be coming out actually within the next few weeks um, that I'm really excited about uh, it's not an, it's not a full book like the four secrets of passion and organizations but it's an ebook um, and it's called right people right execution and then the subtitle is strategy is overrated mm. uh, and it's really all about how uh, how how culture eats strategy for lunch and and mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't create that quote uh, but uh, the the person who did is kind of slipping my mind but I'm stealing it from I readily <laughs> admit I'm stealing that from someone but it's really all about how you know you could have a great strategy but if you don't have the right people and you don't have the right execution disciplines, you will fail. You can have a mediocre strategy, but have A players that are executing with discipline, executing with accountability, and you will blow away the competition. So this ebook really focuses on, you know, what are some of those uh, people tools, techniques, skills uh, uh, that you need and and what does it mean to have great disciplined execution and I really get down into some specifics that people just take and start executing on. Excellent. Well, the book again is called Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passionate Organizations and uh, in this edition, Mike's included uh, a website for continual updates. We'll have that in the show notes and how to connect with Mike. Uh, as well. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to, to talk with me today. I have really enjoyed the book. So glad that Maya was persistent in uh, scheduling this. At first, I just kind of set it aside, oh, I'll get to that eventually. Uh, but her consistency uh, paid off. And uh, as soon as I skimmed it, I thought, this is definitely uh, a book I want to talk about, an author I want to speak with. And I'm so glad I did. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, th- th- thank-, thank you, Maya, for your persistence. And Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, thank you. It's, it's been an interesting uh, discussion. I appreciate it. In the show notes, page for today's episode, readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 105. You'll find links not only to the Passionate Organizations website I mentioned a moment ago, but also several ways to connect with Mike should you want to pursue that relationship further. And the Read to Lead podcast, by the way, makes for a great conversation starter. Don't forget. We are including links to the books and other resources Mike mentioned as well, plus a link to our 2015 listener survey. Be sure to take a few minutes to check that out if you have time. If you're up for discovering new podcasts, I have a couple you may want to consider. One is from Ben Tyler. It's called An Evolving Lifestyle Podcast, focusing on entrepreneurship. And also a brand new podcast from Mike Chan. If you're interested in startups, both launching and growing one, then this podcast is for you. It's called the Go and Grow Podcast. I've got links to both of those shows in today's show notes page. And again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 105. Finally, I want to say thanks to Angus Nelson. He's the latest gentleman to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. He says there's always something new to learn and gives it five stars. Thank you very much, Angus. If you'd like to rate and review the podcast, visit that show notes page where you'll find links to rate and review it in both iTunes and on Stitcher. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.